On this episode, we continue talking about efficient facilitation, the approach and elements of it. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Lean on Me in Agile podcast. With me, your host and Agile coach, Dimitri. Thanks for tuning back in this week. I apologize for my voice. I'm trying to shake off this cold and it's been uh, plaguing my existence for the whole week. But I hope you can still um, hear me well and understand what I'm trying to say here. So your response to the previous episode about the ground rules of efficient facilitation was very positive. Thank you for that. So um, unsurprisingly, I've decided to stay on topic and uh, wrap it up properly on this episode so that you can get this a little bit more conclusive kind of chunk of knowledge for your practical disposal. On the previous episode, we discussed, as I said, the ground rules of efficient facilitation, which hopefully made sense to you um, and formed some theoretical foundation to the practical applications of this knowledge. If you have not listened to the previous episode, I really strongly suggest that you pause this one and listen to the previous one first, as it will kind of allow everything to flow a little bit more smoothly and make a lot more sense. Okay, so today I will very quickly start by recapping core values of an efficient facilitator that uh, should you should use as a guide on top of those ground rules. Some of it will kind of resonate with the ground rules well, um, and uh, I hope that you've learned those pretty well by now. And I'll also give you an outline of what I would kind of, well, with a stretch, call a framework. Really a listing of some items that will help you practically uh, plan your facilitated session a bit better in a slightly more structured way. So let's jump straight into the core values then that guide uh, the mutual learning model that I briefly mentioned on the previous episode. This model is key to the skilled facilitator's approach, overall approach. These values are valid information, free and informed choice, internal commitment to the choice as the ideal goal, and compassion. This is where you adapt your position towards others and temporarily suspend your own judgment. These, um, so what will help you, I suppose, uh, as well on top of these core values, kind of more formal values, are these positive assumptions. They are healthy to the process and are a lot more practical uh, when you start proactively applying them to your sessions as well. First assumption that is recommended for any efficient facilitator is to assume that you have some relevant information and others also have some relevant information. So basically, you just assume that you only have part of the required knowledge to come to a consensus or produce some sort of a valuable decision. Another assumption that is recommended to you is that each one of us may see some things that others do not. In that regard, it just uh, brings kind of your awareness um, a little bit in a more proactive stance here that you need to look for some positions for, uh, coming from other viewpoints. You cannot have a viewpoint that can see the whole situations, uh, situation well enough. Another assumption that is recommended is that any differences that you spot as a facilitator or as a participant of a facilitated session are opportunities for learning. So differences of opinion are not necessarily a negative thing. In fact, often they are not. It is opportunities for learning about positions of those people, about their motivations and why and how they see things. 
Uh, and there could be a whole bunch of reasons why these differences are emerging. And finally, kind of supporting these previous assumptions, there is another one that I could phrase as people are trying to act with integrity given their situations. Simpler version is that you just basically assume innocence until there is a proof of guilt. This does not, it sounds like it applies only to mediation uh, facilitated sessions of sorts where somebody is complaining about something, which often comes to light even in such seemingly placid and innocent uh, situations as a, just a normal kind of retrospective for a team, let's say. I like retrospectives, that's why I use them a lot as um, examples of those facilitated sessions, but they certainly, um, should be, it is not certainly limited just to those types of sessions. But uh, basically assuming the fact that everyone is acting with the best intention is generally a good ground rule to kind of um, stick to and a good assumption to have before you start helping unwrap it as part of discussion between people, as part of facilitating this group discussion. Now, why do you need to properly understand the ground rules, core values, and these assumptions that I've just given you? Because using combinations of these helps you develop strategies for dealing with any conversation, facilitated conversation especially. Your strategies might, and are very likely to, be different from those that other facilitators would use, or even those that you use yourself, but for a different type of facilitated session, with different audience, with different agenda. There is no one hard, fast, and rule here. After discussing all of the above, which will hopefully settle in your mind positively, driving a more educated and positive facilitation behavior in yourself, let me tell you about the basics of actually planning a facilitated session. Here is a little disclaimer. These pointers are not the same as your facilitated session agenda. Agendas will be very different, depending on the purpose of the meeting audience and a whole bunch of other factors. This is, again, as I said, more of an outline of what you need to consider when planning basically any session to reach the most positive and valuable outcome. Also, I hope it goes without saying that not all of these points and questions that you should be asking yourself when planning a session would apply to absolutely any session that you're planning. Some will be relevant, but I am including them here just for completeness of uh, kind of of the given advice. And because they will, in fact, be super relevant and valuable for some specific types of meetings that you'll be facilitating. You might as well be educated on those. All right, so point number one here is that you need to be clear about the purpose and expected outcomes of the event. I never said that, I never said that these points are going to be groundbreaking and not common sense uh, driven. This is very common sense, but it is a system. You need to be clear about the purpose of the event. How? Well, usually you would just ask yourself, what is the purpose of the event and the outcomes? And uh, you would also ask yourself at the end of the event, what would the team or stakeholders want to achieve? Yeah. Point number two would be to manage expectations to the best of your ability. How? Again, by asking yourself questions such as, what are the participants expecting? Is the agenda of the meeting clear to them? Is it worth asking at the start of the meeting for what other specific points would the participants like to address? So you might want to expand your agenda that you perhaps have prepared, well, you probably have prepared, but asking people about some addition, additional things, which you may or may not include, depending on how your conversation goes and how you planned your session, that is generally a good behavior and a good thing to do. Point number three, 
is to make sure that the right people are invited and participating, so engaged, basically. Questions, again, that would help you, I suppose, triangulate whether or not you're um, in a good spot for this. Uh, is there a specific person or people who should decide or recommend participants for this event? Because often in the world that we exist in, you're facilitating, you're assisting with the kind of making sure that everything flows nicely and smoothly. But there is often a person who is a senior stakeholder or someone who is much closer to the process or to the event or to something who will be able to tell you who are the real stakeholders, who are the real decision makers, who are the real people who would benefit from this uh, group discussion and the outcomes, most importantly. Other questions that could help you, I suppose, is, um, again, as I said, well, who would be primarily responsible for making sure that the outcomes of the event would be achieved or enacted? Are there any realistically reachable stakeholders, which I think is important part, realistically reachable stakeholders? who need to approve the decisions of this group. Uh, should they be part of, this, part of this workshop in the first place? Can they be part of this workshop in the first place? Because that way you would cut out this whole handover of the information and then trying to find that really high-level stakeholder perhaps to seek their approval of on whatever this current working group um, has agreed on. Including the right people is obviously always better, but they are not always realistically reachable. Uh, and finally, maybe uh, also who are the knowledgeable experts on the topics relevant to this event. So you need to just basically get the right people with the right information into the room, as simple as it sounds. It's much harder to execute, as you probably know. Point number four is that uh, length and location of the event has to be taken into a serious consideration because... Some events, they and depending on the nature of the event, amount of participants, how you planned your agenda, how you've broken up your agenda between, like, say, discussion and a certain activity, if if it's even included in that type of event that you're facilitating. So, how long would be too long, or how short would be too short to achieve anything valuable? So, these things need to be considered. And again, there is no one hard and fast rule. As far as location is concerned. If it's something reasonably quick and reasonably kind of routine in a non-negative sense of the word, like a retrospective once again, you could run this at a work location, doesn't matter. Or if it's a brown bag session of sorts, like you're discussing something and facilitating something. But if it is something different, it may, be, may benefit tremendously from changing the location to an external location, to be somewhere that is not um, a usual common kind of ground where the team operates or where the where stakeholders usually meet. So that is, again, up to you to decide. Point number five is uh, generally other items of pre-work as facilitator that you need to sort of consider. For example, is there anything to distribute to the participants before the event? For example, some people like clear agenda set way before the event itself. Just see who your audience is and what um, sort of what the event is about. Sometimes this is exactly what you need to do. Maybe there are some assignments, some forms to be filled before the event. You need to consider that as well. Um, example of such a thing, maybe to a slightly looser degree, is where, let's say, a Scrum Master of a distributed regional feature team could be asking participants of a sprint retrospective to pre-fill their virtual post-it notes in the electronic collaboration tool before coming to the retrospective. This would allow them familiarize themselves with what others might have written and posted on that virtual wall. 
and uh, basically just simply take that time to express their own thoughts, think um, virtually for uh, unlimited amount of time before they write something there. And this approach is very common and it leaves a lot more time for review and discussion with the team of those items with the team, as well as forming the action plan, which is really the meat of, of a retrospective kind of once the team is mature enough and it thinks about its efficiency as opposed to uh, ticking the boxes of how a formal retrospective should be run, where everyone is writing in front of everyone and all that kind of stuff. Point number six is uh, you would need to decide uh, which um, decision mode uh, would apply to this group and this type of facilitated event because knowing what to prepare yourself for and knowing what to drive the group towards like what type of decision is actually very very powerful and very very valuable so what decision modes exist there or which ones would be relevant to you kind of at this stage i suppose well first one would be absolute consensus it is naturally means that all agree to support the decision second one is modified consensus it means that all are willing to support or live with this decision. There is no real detraction. There is no real pushback that you can observe. Third one is consultative. I mentioned it on a previous episode. Uh, consultative means that you have a leader present uh, who will decide, but, he f but it follows consultation with the group. So decision is formed by that person based on the consultation with the broader group. Then, believe it or not, there is a consultative consensus it means that the leader consults with the group, seeks consensus generally, but then makes their own decision. It could be done even later. It may not even happen during the session. And final one is most commonly kind of known is voting. For example, sometimes we just put these little dots on retrospective actions or on electronic board, you just vote for this by clicking on them. So voting-based decisions are very, very common. You don't need a voting-based decision if there is an overwhelming amount of um, activity, that kind of a discussion that generates some form of consensus that you can observe. So consensus is obviously better. And then we would go to the point of review and approval. Like I said, the right people, like all the way to the top, might not always be present in the room, just due to the numbers, due to the how reachable or unreachable these people are. But this point is worth taking note of. Does your event generate some recommendations that will need to be delivered to those people for approval before any practical, valuable actions could happen? So you really need to be clear on that and generate the right expectations around the room when you kind of discuss with the people, when you facilitate your event. And finally, point number eight, equipment and the room setup. Self-explanatory, right? As a facilitator, it's your job to make sure that you have all the toys ready before the participants arrive. You should understand what materials will be displayed and what activities you planned, maybe from the participants, um, uh, given the context of this event that you're facilitating. And you just need to make sure that the room is set up properly. While there is a lot more to say about, for example, typical personality types that we encounter as facilitators in our sessions, how to deal with those as common strategies um, recommend. This is a podcast format and not an audio book that tries to be kind of give you exhaustive amount of information. I'm sure you can look this up. So I'll wrap up this topic here. I hope this was informative enough for you. I hope you found it useful and will be able to adapt at least some of this advice into your own facilitated sessions, regardless of their purpose or agenda. Your feedback and content requests are welcome. As always, 
You could email me at podcast at joinagile.com or message me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Workspace, as a lot of you have been doing so far. The next episode has about 50-50 chance of being either an interview that's been promised for a while but doesn't depend on me directly, or some other relevant topics from the world of Lean and Agile, likely we have a lot. I will talk to you in the next two weeks, and I hope you all stay safe until then. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.